what a full morning. Worship's really the greatest part about the morning, is just worshiping the Lord. And so I'm going to just cover stuff here. I want to go through it. I hope I have a message that I have been stirred with this week, and I hope it comes out. So let's pray together and let's have hearts to receive. Lord, we are so grateful for you. We love you. We're just astonished at all that you went through on our behalf. And uh, you are worthy to be worshiped for all eternity. So we even do it here this morning as part of that long string of worship that you're going to get throughout all the ages. And we open our hearts this morning to receive something new, to receive something from you, from your Holy Spirit, that you're good and you're thrilled that we're here this morning receiving and blessing you. And it's just this big circle of love that I see that just goes back up to the Lord, comes down to us, showers over us, and it's just exciting. So... Uh, I want to go through some stuff here this morning um, on the resurrection. I called it the proof of our faith, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I I didn't actually coin that term. I'll source it in a minute. Uh, (laughs) It was the Apostle Paul, so I can't take credit for that. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I mean, anybody watch, just out of curiosity, it's fun to see traditions. Anyone color Easter eggs this year? Yes, we did. Anyone eat a chocolate bunny? I mean, all the corny things we all do. You know, even they're horrible, but you got to do it because it's Easter. Um, but one of the things that's kind of fun, we don't do it every year, but we, Joy and I, watched The Passion of the Christ on Friday. It just happened to be on. We were flipping through it, just kind of watching it after we had watched something else. And, you know, I'm just sitting there. Joy's bawling her eyes out watching it, you know, and I'm impacted by it. I, it shows a little differently in me. But... I mean, but I, you just can't help but be stirred in watching some of that stuff. And, uh, you know, it's good for us to see that once in a while and to understand, you know. We have our westernized mindset sometimes of what we think happened or it just becomes a pageantry or just something that happened. But to actually see what it could have been like in that age is powerful. And I need to see that. It's almost good to get nauseous once in a while to see what he went through because I do when I watch it and I'm just like astonished. But, you know, had he just saved us from our sins, that would have been amazing in and of itself. But he seated us with him in heavenly places. You know, that is hard to understand. I mean, by beyond our comprehension is that type of a love. And I want to start there this morning, and we're going to get into some other stuff. Um, but let's look at this scripture together when it actually comes up here. Uh, someone back there, CJ, if you can advance it to the first one. Ephesians 2, 4-7, to But God, I always love that start. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love that, in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He did that so that he could show his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. That's awesome. And, you know, I allude to that again, where I think it's sometimes it's difficult for us in our Western and our modernized mindsets to really view the events of Jesus from that time period, you know? We think of it differently from all the different Westernized movies we've seen that depicted Jesus as this goofy-looking guy with the long hair and, you know, and all this stuff. But uh, there was so much that happened in that. 
And I want to hit on a few of them, and then I'm going to go into another little section, so bear with me through this little string. Um, but there's, when you look at even not only the trial of Jesus, you know, we think of it and we read it in the context and sometimes, and I didn't really get this until recently, but it was such a miscarriage of justice of what happened. So many things failed. It would be like somebody in our day and age Somebody who was a good person, like let's use Pastor Ralph. We all love Pastor Ralph or Pastor Mark. And they're good. You know they're good people. And picture someone like the authorities and church leaders going and ripping them out of their house and bringing them out to the square and beating them. I mean, it's like that raw to me, that, that real, that it was so, such a miscarriage of justice and the things that happened. They weren't supposed to have a trial at night in Jewish law. You know, the high priests weren't even supposed to be hearing the case let alone condemning them. I mean, there's a string of things that happened, all fulfilling what was supposed to happen, um, but neither the less. I mean, Jesus, it was, when we talk about him as being the foundation, justice is the foundation of his throne, he experienced the worst of it. I mean, the absolute worst. And there's many others there we could talk about. But we, the Passover lamb, remember we talked about that last year where Jesus was the prophetic model of that sacrifice. And the lamb was brought into the house five days before Passover. And at the same time the Passover lambs were being killed in Israel, Jesus was being crucified on the cross, perfectly fulfilling what the Father had for him to do. That's amazing. Perfectly fulfilling. I think that what one of the things in the passion that re, I think one of the things they depicted really well, and there were other stuff that was not perfect, but I think the thing they really captured was the faces on the people of those who knew Jesus, and they couldn't believe what was happening to them. And we have to understand that Jesus to them in that day and age was the answer to their life. They thought he was going to establish this kingdom and do away with the Roman rule right then and set up his kingdom and rule. I mean, that's the mindset they had. I think in the movie, the picture of Mary's face, of the apostles' face as they watched what was happening, and I think he depicted it well, that in their face you can see them looking like, this guy does not deserve this. They weren't with him over the last three years of everything that we saw. You know, he washed our feet the night before. I mean, he was good. He did. He was just amazing. He did miracles. He just. He's. I mean, he's amazing. And they watched him go through this. And to me, that really spoke something to me, and you know, affected me. But that he really was good. And we don't think of it sometimes in those terms. We just think, yeah, he was. He never made a sin. He never sinned. Well, that's true. But he was also good. And they loved him. They absolutely loved him. You know, I'm amazed at how the events really changed the world, changed the course of history, you know. That's pretty cool. And the reality was, in ancient times, there were other religions and cultures that had gods come down to earth to, to, be, to dwell among the earth. Usually, well, Christianity is the only case in which the god came down and actually died for the human beings. The other ones all, you know, made them do all this stuff or humans were sacrificed in order to serve this God. But Christianity and Jesus was not the only God in that culture for a God to come down to earth according to their stories and their pagan rituals. But he's the only one who would die to save his people. Like, that's amazing. You know, and I try to relate the events even to kids to help keep stuff really simple. You know, and it's funny. And I'm not always successful. Um, but uh, I was trying to explain this thing to my oldest about the veil. 
because we were watching a little clip on it, and the veil was 60 feet high, and it was three inches thick. And a horse, the strongest horse on each end of that thing, couldn't pull it apart. It wouldn't be able to rip it. You know, it's amazing to think about. But it wasn't just this little curtain that ripped, you know, when it, the whole thing happened. It was so significant, you know. So I was relating the story. I had a little brochure on Solomon's temple, and I showed them. I said, this is the temple. This is all the different courts, and this is kind of what it looked like to help give a visual, you know. And I was right. I thought she really got it. Then the next morning, Joy mentioned to me, what did you tell Marissa last night about the story? And I said, well, well, what? She said, I don't know, something about salamander in his temple? I have no idea what you're talking about, what you tried to... I was like, I just said, you know, obviously it didn't come across in the way I intended it. But I said, I did not misconstrue Solomon with salamander. I guarantee you that. So I said, she said, Sal, wasn't that it? Salamander in his temple? And I'm like, wow, wow, something went really wrong. <laughs> so, um, but here's, here's the thing. And the resurrection, as amazing as it is, there's an attack on it in our modern day time on the validity of the resurrection. And astonishing as that is to us, it's actually very real. And it's actually pretty prevalent among like a lot of uh, liberal theological circles and modern day what we love to call intellectuals, which some of it is not intellectual at all. Um, but the present belief today and in the pa even in the past, you know, there is this belief that the resurrection was not literal. It was not a bodily event. It was... Um, well, and in fact, recent studies even show that 30% of born-again Christians don't believe that Jesus actually physically came back to life. They said it was a resurrection, you know, but how we word it, we don't think he physically came back to life. I was shocked when I saw that study. Um, but they say, no, it wasn't, it wasn't literal, you, you know, if you talk with them. And I have talked with them because I work with them. So it actually made, it was good for me. It made me really delve into why we believe what we believe. And I want to share a little bit about that this morning because I think that's important. It's not something we just learned in Sunday school and we celebrate, but there's astonishing amount of validity for what happened. Not only the personal experience that we've all gone through, but in the validity of what happened. So we're going to go through a, fun, a couple of fun things of that this morning. Um, but, you know, they say it's a poetic metaphor, you know, it was meant to represent something else. And I've actually talked with someone I work with who really believes this. And the, their type of responses are, well, you, you have to think higher and more intellectual. You, know, you can't believe it just because they said it. No rational person with any seriousness could assert that Jesus literally rose from the dead. And, by the way, they say no rational person could believe that uh, there was a virgin birth. And usually those go right together. Um... But so why do we believe some of what we believe, you know, is always important to understand. And uh, not only did it, because uh, it affects us, and I'll get into that, but I look at it a different way. I'm not saying proof that there is a resurrection, but that the resurrection is the proof. You know, flip that around. Resurrection is the proof of our faith. So we're going to look at that scripture together. If you got your Bibles, it's, uh, and if you don't have your Bibles, no worries, because you can move us to the next one, CJ, this isn't working. And it's on, on. So, thank you. Um, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, <clears throat> having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. It is the proof of our faith, and it's the primary proof of our faith. 
Uh, and Paul even says later on in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ had not been raised, then your preaching's in vain. And he actually says, then your faith is worthless. You know, it, that's powerful language. Um, and we have to understand this because I think even of, you know, I have brothers and sisters in college and we, you know, I've been through college and I faced it. There's that onslaught you face when you go into college. And, uh, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them in intellectual circles where the first thing they're going to start attacking is faith. And they're going to start hitting it with, well, you can't possibly believe it. No rational person. It's foolishness. And we have to understand some of this stuff. And even as adults, I mean, but we got to prepare our kids before they go off, before they start facing this stuff. There's overwhelming evidence for it. And we're going to hit on a few of those. It's not only in the Bible that this, the events were recorded, but in Josephus's writings. And by the way, Josephus was a Jewish historian. He wasn't a Christian. He was hired by the Roman government to record the events of the Jews and the history of the Jews. And some of the most important things, uh, the history of the times came from him. Here's what he said in his book. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men amongst us, had him condemned to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them again alive the third day. As the prophets had foretold these, and then thousand other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of the Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. That's a powerful historical record. You'll forget about the fact that King David, hundreds of years earlier, prophetically wrote that Jesus couldn't be held in the grave, you know, which is amazing. In Psalm 16.10, uh, a resurrection is predicted in Daniel's 12.2. Daniel 12.2, not Paul Daniels. Well, <laughs> Daniels. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Ezekiel 37, 12, and 13. Uh, Jesus himself said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up. And then John tells us in John 2.9 that he spoke of the temple as his body. So that's pretty cool. Other non-Christian historians of the period wrote about Jesus, Tacticus, Pliny the Younger, Lucian, and others. And the reality is this, and I always love it when there are people who try to say, well, there's all these contradictions in the Gospels. And it's really because they don't understand something, but there are so many striking similarities in there that is astonishing proof. Uh, but the Bible's a compilation of writings from a lot of different authors. Gospel writers spoke of the account of that they witnessed, and they spoke of it historically. Uh, they weren't; um, they were originally actually letters. They weren't really books; um, they became books. <clears throat> but Dr. Luke in the Book of Acts said that Jesus appeared many times over the course of forty days. Says it in Acts one three, and by many convincing proofs. Uh, the Apostle Paul also said Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. He says that in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Uh, one of our new writers that we love, Harold Eberly, says this, The apostles verified for themselves the truth of the resurrection to such an extent that they were willing to base the rest of their lives upon it. And I think that's the most powerful point. Biblical and extra-biblical writings confirm it, and every one of the apostles suffered persecution and or martyrdom except for Judas. 
it seems unlikely that they would have died for a poetic metaphor. You know? <laughs> but you know, when you think of, we were talking about this week with Doubting Thomas, you know, and uh, the ultimate skeptic who had to touch the wounds of Jesus to see it in order to believe it. And, you know, by the way, the apostles, they weren't just this big gullible group of guys who just believed everything that happened. They didn't believe the resurrection at first. When Mary Magdalene and them came back and told them, they didn't believe it. They had to run to the tomb themselves and see it. Doubting Thomas didn't even believe that. He had to put his fingers in the wounds of Jesus to believe it. He was the last one. And he was so convinced, and writings confirm this, that he became a missionary and he ministered as far east as India and had a huge effect in spreading the gospel. And he was actually martyred in AD 72 and persecuted intensely. So it seems unlikely that he would have risked his life for something that he was not convinced about as a witness. Uh, the Apostle Paul, think about the Apostle Paul, murdering Christians. I mean, the ultimate antithesis of spreading the gospel at that time. Jesus spoke to him in a blinding light. He was so convinced that Jesus was speaking to him that he risked everything, changed the course of his whole life, and eventually was imprisoned and tortured because of what he believed in. He had an experience and millions of people today have had experiences with Christ that confirm this. You know, When you think that there's two billion professed Christians on the planet, think of the millions and millions of Christians who have had experiences with God and can confess them. And the atheist there says that there's no proof. You know, that's the blind leap, you know, to say that millions of people who have experienced something are, are taking a blind leap. I find that very interesting. But the resurrection is the primary proof of our faith, and it's the proof that God gave to humanity. It's awesome. To say it never happened or to twist it, to say it was not meant to be taken literally, is anything but intellectual. It actually needs to be called what it is, and it's foolish. Absolutely foolish. <clears throat> the apostles, like we said, were unlikely to risk their lives for a metaphor. Um, you know, when I think of personal experiences, how many have had personal experiences with Christ in which you were convinced and that you knew? And if you haven't today, I, we're gonna, we want to pray for you at the end because he has something for you too. And uh, he's, he's just really good. He will show himself. But let's, you know, when I think of today and I think of the week and the Passion Week and everything and think of the effect that God has had on your life. You know, when you boil out everything else down and make it simple, think of where you were and where you are now and the profound effect that Jesus had on our lives and on your generations and on the generations to come. That is amazing. We have got to think, I mean, we've just got to be really thankful for that. Uh, but intimidation and reasoned arguments can't take away your experience that you had. And you can hear all the reasons why it shouldn't have happened, but nothing can take away your experience. And that is powerful. So think about an experience you had with God. You know, Think about that. Where would you be today without the power of God at work in your life? What has God saved you from already? You know, How has Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection affected you and the generations after you? you know, God's, here's the main point that I have today. All, you take all the proof that there is, and it's overwhelming, and you take the experiences we've had, all that together makes me want to invest my life in him. Because that is true. And that he happened, he's alive today. 
God does intervene in the affairs of men, which is a powerful reality. And if he intervenes, he can do miracles, he can change things, he can change the course of our lives. It's an awesome reality. So let's do a uh, summary. I got a little summary slide there, uh, CJ. Thank you. Wrap it up here, and I'm going to end it with some scriptures, and then we're going to pray. Main point, not only did he save us from our sins, he seated us with him in heavenly places. We could think about that point forever, and I still can't get my head wrapped around that. Uh, In every way, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Father's plan. Uh, We summed up some of the events of the Passover, the crucifixion, and the resurrection from the perspective of those at the time, not just our own viewpoint that we might have. Uh, Thirdly, there's a modern-day attack on the validity of the literal or the bodily resurrection. That's important for us to understand, and it's important for us to be able to defend and to discuss. Um, However, resurrection is the proof of our faith, and it's the primary proof of our faith. And there's overwhelming historical evidence of this in the form of biblical and extra-biblical sources. And I have more if anybody's interested. Um, Four, the apostles were so convinced of the resurrection that they risked their lives to proclaim it. And all were persecuted and or martyred except for Judas. That is powerful. God can't take away our experience. Or or man can't, rather. God definitely won't. He'll just keep adding to it. Um, Let's look at this scripture. I just want to end on just a few really good ones. They're all good, but these are special today. 1 Peter 19 and 20. We were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He was the perfect, the Passover lamb, the ultimate Passover lamb that fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. Um, Philippians 3, 7 and 11. I love this. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but from, and where's my other paper? Hang on. Yes, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That is such a good one. Thank you, Lord. And I have one more. Let's go out on this note. Colossians 3, 1 and 4. 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And that isn't talking about revealed in heaven. That's talking about when you're going to be when he is made manifest, you're going to be made manifest with him in the glory of God. And that's really cool. So thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much. And uh, words just can't describe even the feeling that I have today, and I know that many others have, 
Uh, and we're not always the best even at using the right words to describe it. But Lord, just be glorified today in everything, Lord. Lord, even our lives is a sacrifice to you. That like the apostles, Lord, that we would actually live life and risk life for you. To give back for all that you've given. Lord, that we, we are a convinced people. That we would be a convinced people, not just knowing in our head, but knowing in our hearts about the, that you rose and all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you'd meet everybody today in a special way that you'd even interrupt our activities today with your presence and with your spirit and just with the overwhelming love of God being poured out in whatever we're doing. Lord, as we celebrate you and celebrate your goodness, we're just so grateful. Just even take a second now and just we'll be quiet and just you know, pray yourself or whatever. Just think about what the God has done for us. Let it soak in. I want to call up the prayer teams to come on up.